If you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to the book of 1 John, chapter 5. 1 John, chapter 5. I'm, I suppose many of you are surprised by the uh, book of the Bible or that we selected for this evening. We've been a long time in 1 John, haven't we? And I even just skimmed chapter 4. I didn't even really drill down like I wanted to, but felt like the Lord wanted us to, to do something different last week. You know it pays to mind God. When uh, Last week we did, felt like the Lord wanted us to, to do, go a little different direction and tell that story and so forth. And afterwards, Wes came to me and he said, you know, we were all so weary from the day, and the kids were so weary they didn't want to come to church, and um, even one, I think, was laying down even before the sermon started, but when they found out it was going to be a story, they perked up, and, and, uh, but, also, but the shorter service was a blessing to them as, as they were weary and, uh, from the day's events, and you know God's got it under control. And uh, God even has the power to make me short-winded sometimes. <laughs> but you all ought to know, lightning doesn't strike the same place twice. <laughs> I make no promises about tonight, whether long or short. I'm just going to try to mind the Lord. But I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. I will say this. Three points to my message, but there's there week. So, um, well, I guess I'm telling you. This is kind of a part one to the message, um, really, and, and we'll deal with a we'll deal with part two in more extensively next week. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and every one that loveth him that begot loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, that we love God and we keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, for his commandments are not grievous. For whosoever is born of God overcome the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Whoso is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the truth. That you help us as we try to divide the word of truth one more time. Father, we don't take this lightly. Don't take this responsibility to it uh, carelessly, but we ask, Father, that you would help us to be diligent and careful. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. Children's song. I almost had us sing it tonight, but I, I didn't know how, how you adults would do singing a children's song. A little children's song that goes, if you're saved and you know it, clap your hands. You all know that. Some, some of you are, yeah, you know it. Then you stomp your feet. There's even a verse that says, shout amen. I would have liked to have heard that. <laughs> kind of a rarity around here. Someone shout amen. 
But anyhow, I like that chorus because it affirms what we know. It affirms what we know. If you are saved and you know it, two very important things that this this evening you've got to know that you're saved or you got to be saved and got to know it if you do then your life will surely show it it's a lot of a lot of truth in that little chorus isn't there a lot of truth one of the things that strikes me is that in our circles, we believe that you can know that you are saved. Now there are some that, that they teach and they preach that you can't know whether you're saved or not. And you, in fact, ours is, as far as I know, ours is the only religion, Christianity is the only religion that makes such a claim. If you're a Muslim... Your good deeds have to outweigh the bad deeds. But nobody knows what a bad deed weighs and what a good deed weighs. I mean, if I tell a lie, how many good deeds do I have to do to make up for that lie? If I murder somebody, how many good deeds do I have to do to make up for that murder? There's no way to know whether you're going to heaven or not if you're a Muslim. You just don't know. You don't know the weights. If you're Buddhist, if you live a good life, if you are in harmony with the world around you, and you live very carefully, you might get to move up to the next stage. Isn't that exciting? And if you're not, you might go to the lower stage. And if you're really bad, you might become an insect. Not great. And eventually, after many, many lifetimes, many, many lifetimes, if you just keep getting better and better and better and better, eventually one day you may reach a state called nirvana, which is like heaven to them. But it's going to take you multiple, multiple lifetimes to get it right. Well, isn't that encouraging? That, would, that sounds pretty discouraging to me. Ours is the only faith where you can know that you know that you will know that you are right with your God. What an encouraging thing this, this evening. John gives us Four, and I'm only going to deal with three, but he gives us, and, I, and not even in our text, I, I, I didn't even go on to the, the last one. Uh, let me give you the last one, I'll tell you, just so, so that when I'm preaching this, you're going to say you're, he's missing one. The, next, the fourth point, the, four, the next week, is on the witness. Okay, so we're going to skip the witness, that's next week. But we're going to talk about the three evidences that you know that you are saved. You say, why do we need to know that, preacher? You don't think we're saved? Well, 
Sometimes I want, no, 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 no. That's not what I mean. What I, why we need to have this message is, is a, couple of, a couple of reasons. One, we need to know that we are saved so that we're not seeking holiness when we need to be seeking salvation. There's a lot of people who are seeking holiness. They come to the altar. They're asking God to sanctify them. They come back. They testify to getting sanctified when they really got saved. It's happened many, many times as I've worked with people around the altar, as I'm working with them, and they're saying they're praying to get sanctified, and, you're, and you, talk, you ask them about, about the carnal traits, and they're telling you about the sins that they are committing. And you go, oh, no. It's not helpful. So we need to know that we're saved so that we can know that we're sanctified so that you're not someone who's going around professing to be sanctified when you've only been saved important. So that's the first, one of the first reasons. The second reason that we need to know that we're saved is so that we can have confidence when we pray. We need to have the confidence because we know that God hears those who are saved. He hears their prayers. So I want to boost our confidence a little bit. You know, one of the things that troubles me is, is when people have a hard time getting saved. And you know, they get up, and maybe this is the third reason, I guess, that we ought to have a message like this. You know, there are some young people in, at, at camp that just never could get through. It just broke my heart. They just, they just never felt like they were saved, they could get, like they could get it. And... I think maybe just having a, a little sermon like this might help us a little bit so that we can know that we have it so we're not struggling around an altar trying to get saved when we're already saved. You know, it's really easy to get saved. It's really easy to get saved. You know, there was, some time ago, there was a huge disagreement, a theological debate, and uh, I, I try to keep on uh, my... Uh, finger on the pulse of, of the theological debates and, and, and going on in the church world. And, and, and I don't remember, this is three, four years ago now, there was a huge debate over the idolatry of the sinner's prayer and whether it was effective or not. And I said, oh, brother. It's not the sinner's prayer that's the problem. What's the problem is, is whether the person speaking it means what they're saying or not. It's not the prayer that, that, that even saves us. There is no magic prayer that saves anybody. And you don't even have to have the right words or the right uh, uh, formula. Or even, uh, there's none of that's needed. None of that is needed. Say, so how do you know? Well, I can tell you about a man who was cussing and swearing about 10 minutes before he got saved. He's in the Bible. Thief on the cross who's cursing out the Lord and, 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 saying, and he's, the Bible says he was joining in with the other guy. And then something happens. The Holy Spirit convicts him and he realizes, what am I doing? I am wicked. This guy hasn't done anything wrong. And this is all he says. This is his sinner's prayer. Lord, when you enter into your kingdom, remember me. There was no confession of sin. 
There was no I'm sorry. There was no uh, uh, list of re- things they were repent- he was repenting of. There was no promise to do better. All there was was a request that the Lord would remember him when he came into his kingdom. And he was saved. Jesus said to him, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And here's the thing. The thief believed Christ. And when he believed what Jesus said, the work was done. It's not hard to get saved, folks. It's not hard to get saved. I probably told you the story. It's my favorite salvation story. And I maybe have told you even already this. And since I've been back, I don't care. I'm going to tell you again because it's my favorite salvation story. On the mission field, a little boy, shepherd boy, never been to church. Never, ever been to church before. Missionary was speaking. And wouldn't you know, the Lord would had the preacher to speak on the good shepherd. And the Lord is, was faithful to that little boy. That little boy, when the altar call was given, he went forward. But he didn't know how to pray. He'd never been to church. He didn't know anything about church. All he knew was that the preacher said that Jesus was the good shepherd who was looking for the lost sheep. And he looked for lost sheep. And you know, he said, when I'm looking for a lost sheep, I look for a sheep that's bleeding. And so that kid put back his head and started bleeding like a sheep. And God saved him without words. It was belief in a shepherd savior. It's not hard to get saved. It's not hard to get saved. In fact, I believe getting saved is just about the easiest thing in the whole wide world to do because it's God's will that none would perish. And God has made the pathway to salvation as simple and as plain as possible. I truly believe that you, can, that, that you can hardly find anything in this world that's easier than getting saved. Well, how do you know we're saved? How do you know that, that we have it? Well, John tells us the first thing that we need to do is we have to believe. We have to believe. The the thief had to believe Jesus. The the shepherd boy had to believe that Jesus was searching for him. We have to believe. Say, do we have to have it all right? No. Do you have to know all the details and have it all figured out? No. You know, there's a, there's a song in our, I think it's in our hymn book. I, I, I guess I didn't look it up to make sure. Sometimes I think songs are in our hymn book and they're not in there. And I don't know what the, what the publisher was doing when they left that one out. But you know, there's a hymn in there that says, Tell me that name again. You know how that song came about? A lady on a mission field got saved... First time she heard about Jesus, and as she's leaving, she realizes before she gets home, she forgot the name of the one who saved her. So she had to go back to the missionary and say, tell me his name again. 
that's and that was the 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 inspiration for that song that she didn't even couldn't even remember Jesus's name but she knew that the work was done she believed in a savior who came for her now I want to tell you how you know there's a lot of people who struggle with belief and doubt they struggle with faith and all this all this gets muddled and I think, I think the best definition that, I, that I've ever come across for belief and faith is this. It's how you act. It's how you act. If you believe something, you act in that way. Let me give you an example. If I held up a $100 bill and I said the first person to come here and get it gets to keep it, the people who believe me would be running up here. Those of you who don't believe me would have stayed seated. It's that simple. Belief is on how you act. If I were to, if, uh, if you were told that, that, that Walmart was going out of business and everything was 90% off starting tomorrow morning, if you believe that, you would, have, you would be there in line waiting. I know how you are because you Black Friday sales, you all start trampling each other while I sleep in and enjoy meditating in a horizontal position. What you believe is how you act. It's how you act. Belief is not some it's not a feeling, it's not an emotion. It is your act of the will to do what you believe. If you want to know whether you believe Jesus is Savior or not, it's this. Did you act on it? When I, when I didn't understand that, I'd read this scripture and I'd say, now wait a minute, I don't understand. Because Satan believes, the, the Bible says that the de demons believe and tremble, but it but what I begin to understand, when you act on it, when you act on it, is the difference. There are lots of people that I know who are no closer to being saved than they ever were. But they believe Jesus was the Savior. They believe He's God. But they don't want to, they don't, they believe it in their mind. I know, he's, I know there has to be a God. I know that it makes sense for Jesus to be, be uh, God. I, I, I understand all that. Maybe they grew up in church. And they believe everything in the Bible. But they don't act on it. Do they believe it? Not really. Not really. If you believed that you, if you truly believed that you were going to a place where you were going to be in torment forever. If you truly believe that, you would do everything to avoid that. When you put your hand accidentally on a hot stove, you move it quickly. If you got any sense at all. It's, it's, a, it's a, you know, I, I had a, a, a co-worker when I was a young person who did not have the ability to feel heat. They could, 
they had a, a biological, they had some kind of problem, they could not tell if something was hot or cold at all. As I understood it, she had to have someone set her shower for her. Because if she were to run it herself, she may scald herself. If she couldn't feel heat, I don't know why she didn't just use cold. I, I, I didn't think of that to ask her then. But she had no ability, according to her, to be able to have the sensation that she was being burnt. Maybe she could feel cold and, and couldn't feel that she was being burnt. I don't really know the details. And you know, you, we would think, man, not to have to feel pain of getting burnt, that would be awful great, but it was awful miserable for her. Because she, would, she put her hand on a hot stove, she wouldn't know she was burning her hand. And the medical trauma that could be. She didn't believe she was getting burnt, so she didn't move her hand. She didn't know it. What we believe, we act on. I ask you this, this evening, what do you believe? What do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is the Savior? Well, it's whether you acted on it or not. We sang tonight, it's one of the most, I think, beautiful word pictures in all of our hymns. We sang it tonight about Jesus standing at our heart's door, mid sunshine and rain, waiting patiently an entrance to gain. It's one of the most beautiful word pictures in all of our hymns. Not saying there aren't other beautiful ones. But I, every time I, we sing that song, I just, I just marvel at that, at that word picture. Of Jesus standing there, it's sunny and he's getting sunburnt and he's raining and the, the water's dripping off his beard. You say, that's a little silly, preacher. Well, it, I don't think it really is. As he walked upon the face of this earth, he had no pillow, he had no home. And I wonder how sunburnt he was. And I wonder how often... He had no shelter from the rain and the storms. And he had to wait patiently as he knocked on my heart's door. And how many times did I turn him away? Even after I knew that he was Savior, I didn't make him my Savior. I didn't act on it. Oh, that we would act in such a way that we would know that we were saved. Everyone that believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, everyone who believes He is the Messiah, everyone who believes that He is God, is saved. Because they've acted on it. Because they've acted on it. The second thing that he says, I hope you all have your seatbelts on. I'm not trying to keep you in suspense. I'm just afraid someone's going to throw something at me. I'm trying to look to see who's most likely. Jimmy's got his songbook. Thank you, Jimmy. I appreciate that. 
<laughs> He's a poor shot. <laughs> I'm going to go stand over here. Well, I don't know if I'm standing close to my wife. She will. <laughs> All right, I'm standing way back here. Our relationships with each other are right. I heard things, but I didn't see anything coming, so. <laughs> he says, we love the children of God. Now, I'd love to say that this means just the church, but I don't think it does. I think it means our neighbor and our enemy, and I think it means uh, the person at work that annoys us the most. I think it means the town drunk. I think it means everybody. And if that's the case, John tells us that if we want to know if we're saved, we've got a right relationship with everyone as much as possible. And we love those even if they don't love us back. Wow. How much do you love the Lord? As much as you love the person you love the least. Our, a saved person, I didn't see, we're, folks, we're not even into holiness yet. All right? A saved person has relationships that are clear as much as they can. It means I don't hold on to a grudge. It means that I say I'm sorry for my mistakes and my part in it. Now, they don't have to forgive me for me to have everything right between me and God. They don't have to, they don't have to say, you know what, no problem. I'm glad you said you're sorry. They don't have to do any of that. But a saved person has relationships that are healthy and working well. I believe this is why God gave us families. Because if there's any evidence, if there's any place that you're going to have problems, it's going to be with your family. A brother's for adversity. Now it may be that that Proverb writer meant that in adversity your brother would come help you out, but sometimes it seemed like growing up my brother was the cause of the adversity. And you know, you'll find out real quick where you are spiritually by how you behave with the people you live with. I remember, thank the Lord this hasn't been recent, in the distant past, in our marriage, and Trisha would do something to fluster me. And I'd go to the Lord and said, Lord, the woman that you gave me, that's <laughs> what Adam said, isn't it? The woman that you gave me, She's awful frustrating right now. And you know that when I would go to the Lord with that frustration, the Lord usually took her side. 
I don't know why he would do that, because I was right. But do you know what I think? I think if she'd done the same thing, the Lord probably would have taken my side. Because you know what the Lord cares about? He cares about our relationships. And the closer we get to God, the clearer our relationships will be. And if we've got relationship problems, I would suggest a couple things. First of all, ask yourself, am I doing everything I can to clear it up? And number two, if I am, and they are, and we're still stuck, it might be time to get some help. That's why we were doing the, the uh, Love and Respect book in Sunday school class for the young uh, adults. But sometimes, Jesus said, if you've got ought against your brother, you go to them first, and if you can't solve it, then you bring in a, another person, and you ask for help. Why don't we do that? Why don't we do that? If that's just as much of a command as, as our modesty. Oh, preacher's meddling again. I'm just checking the noises over here. I'm worried about the songbooks. <laughs> here, Sister Kleins has got an arm. Oh, that the Lord would help us to just mind him. You know, I've got, if i got problems with Dean and I've talked to Dean and we can't settle it, I need to say, you know, Brother Bob, come on and help us. We're, we're trying. We're both serving God. We both love God. We love each other, but we're stuck. Come help us, Brother Bob. Brother Bob says, I can't help you. What a mess. Bible says then we're supposed to go to the elders of the church. We're supposed to say, all right, board members, come help us. Come help us to solve this. I'm not, I'm not trying to run Dean down. I'm, I'm not trying to make him look bad. I might be the one that's at fault, but, but come help us. Now, we've, I've been here a year, and never once has, it ever, has anyone ever got, come to the board and said, solve our problems. We can't solve it. I hope that means it's been dealt with either between you privately or with the third person being brought in. I, I hope that it isn't that we're just leaving it stuck and sick. What it says, we know that we love the children of God. Our relationships are clear. I could have preached a whole sermon on this. There's no bitterness, there's no grudges, there's no hatred, there's no malice, there's no wish for hurt and pain, there's no avoiding them. I'm not saying that a person who refuses to patch up, that you might not avoid them so that they don't keep hurting you over and over. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about they, that you've done your best, and they've done their best, and, and you're just stuck that you've, that you've gone and you've gotten someone, you're not avoiding the issue. You say, I'm embarrassed to talk to a third person. I don't want to be unkind, but Jesus didn't give you a plan B. 
I, 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 that might be harsh, and I don't mean it to be harsh, but there's not another option. Jesus said, I go to the person that I have a problem with, I then bring in a third party, I then go to the elders, we get it worked out. You know, I would love for Altamont to know that this is a church where if there's relationship problems, they can come here and get them solved. Whether it's in their own lives, or whether it's in, whether they have something against one of us, that they know this is a place where relationships are clear. Because these are people who are truly saved. Do you know why the Catholic Church has covered up all these sex abuse scandals? Do you know why they did it? Is because they didn't do things God's way. They didn't try to clear up the relationship that had been broken. And in some, these, in certain, and especially those that did these terrible crimes, he did not remove them from positions that could continue to keep hurting people. And do you know what happens when that, when you have situations like that? People begin to know that nothing will be done about it anyways, and so they quit doing things God's way because people in authority aren't doing things God's way. And those of us who've been elected to positions of leadership, whether it's board or whether it's other positions, we better be careful that we don't send the message to others in the church and to those in the community that we're willing to do things our own way and not God's way if it protects us and makes us look good. And this is why perhaps I'm being a little straight and a little maybe even harsh, and I don't mean that at all tonight, when I say God, that Christ himself, when he laid out what to do when we have ought against a brother, didn't give us another option. Even if you're embarrassed, even if it's difficult, this is the formula for getting things done right in a way that honors and pleases God. And if we stray from that in any way, there are consequences. There are dire consequences, and the Catholic Church is facing them right now because they didn't do things God's way. I don't know what the consequences will be. I, but here's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of that we'll lose our salvation over it. Because John said that we know that we're saved with the evidence. One of the four evidences that we're saved is that our relationships are clear as best as we can make them. We love the children of God. And I find that powerful this evening. And I find it challenging because I want to make sure that I love the Lord and I obey Him in this area of keeping the channels clear. And finally, of the first three evidences of salvation, there is obedience. This is the fifth time that this has pro uh, come up in this epistle. 
that if you love God, you will keep his commandments. The fifth time that this has come up. Do you think it's important to John? You know, I had a, I had a teacher that used to say, if I say it more than once, there's a good chance it's on the test. When God says something more than once, there's a good chance it's on the test. How do we know that, that you're a, ch a child of God? You've overcome the world. You're not sinning. I don't understand the churches that, don't, that teach a sinning religion. That, John says you won't sin. You'll stop sinning. This is not holiness, folks. We're not even to that point yet. This is salvation. If you are sinning, you're not a candidate for holiness. Oh, that I wish that I could drill that into the heart of everyone here and across our movement that we cannot get sanctified while we are practicing sin. If you're going to the altar and you feel better when you leave, you might have gotten saved, but you didn't get sanctified. We are still at this, we're still in kindergarten spiritually. This is salvation. This is getting into the door. We are obedient to God. If you're not obeying God, you're not saved. I didn't say you weren't sanctified. I, I, folks, I, 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 I want to be clear. And I don't mean to be repetitious, but if John can say it five times, I ought to be able to say it a couple times too. We've got to understand this basic principle. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You cannot have a clear relationship with God while there's sin in between. And I'm talking about willful transgressions of the known law of God. Appreciated what Brother Bob said this morning in Sunday school class. We, in our theology, we often ignore the sins of ignorance. The fact that we need continual cleansing from sins that, that perhaps we don't understand is sin in our life. But oh, that we would understand that if we know it's God's law and He has said this is what His will is and we violate it, that we have, we have violated the relationship. There are times that my children do things I wish they wouldn't have done but they didn't know. There have been, I remember, and I'll use my own, I won't embarrass them, I'll tell one of my own. I remember when I was a little guy, I don't even know if I was old enough to go to school. I woke up early on a Saturday morning and got my brother involved in my scheme. And this was my great scheme. I was gonna make my parents breakfast in bed. Four or five years old, I was not Chef Borardee. I wasn't Aunt Jemima either. And what my parents woke up to was not breakfast in bed. It was a mess. And I remember my parents were frustrated. But there was no malice in my heart. There was no sin in my heart. 
there was no direct disobedience to what the known will of my parents. In fact, it was just the opposite. And I can remember times when I first got saved, I look back and I go, oh, that was kind of dumb. In fact, that was a lot dumb. I thought I was trying to please the Lord. I thought God would be honored in it. And that, you know, a little bit of wildfire maybe. Maybe a little too much. Zealousness. Do you know what, folks? Wildfire and those kind of things from a mature saint is ridiculous. But from a new convert, it's precious. It's precious. And we can be judgy and we can be critical. But when it comes to a new convert who's, who's in their zealousness to please the Lord, maybe goes a little too far maybe just need some correcting and need some education, we better be really careful. We better be really careful because it's precious. It's a lot like four or five-year-old me who was trying to make breakfast for his parents. The outcome may have been a mess, but it was done with a heart of love. Oh, that we'd be careful. Oh, that we'd be careful. You want to know if you're saved? It's what you believe. Is that your relationships are clear as best as you can make them, as much as the other person will allow, and that our obedience is up to date. There's a witness, and we'll talk about it next week. But if we can get those three things, we've... Folks, we can, we can just expect the witness. We can just expect the witness. Amen. Let's stand together. I trust everyone will have a happy Labor Day tomorrow. All the retirees are so happy about the day off. <laughs> but we're praising God that we can know that we know that we know that we are saved. Brother Vaughn, would you dismiss us in prayer?